Today's reading is Psalm or, uh, chapter 126. Listen now to the word of the Lord. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheep with him. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome. I uh, just want to remind you again, uh, and for those of you who are uh, new to our service, uh, we will have lunch following the service and a time of Bible study, so I want to uh, encourage all of you to uh, stick around and enjoy a further uh, time together uh, in God's Word and in fellowship with uh, one another. And also just to remind you again of our uh, Good Friday service this year. Um, we're planning something a little bit different and special, and so I encourage all of you to uh, come. Uh, more details will follow. But um, I hope you will uh, block out that time uh, to spend that day uh, here uh, Friday night. Uh, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you again uh, for this day that you have made. And now, uh, in the hearing of your word, um, teach us. Help us to receive your word with thanksgiving. Reveal your truth to us. And in light of that truth, God, help us to obey and to walk in joyful obedience. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So um, Psalm 120 through 135 um, has this superscription, Song of Ascent. And so these 15 songs or psalms are thought to be a collection of hymns that the pilgrims sang as they approached Jerusalem uh, during the three annual festivals. So Psalm 126 is the seventh of these 15 songs. So imagine a group of pilgrims as they're uh, walking and marching toward the city of Jerusalem to temple, to festival, this great anticipation, and this would be one of the songs that they would be singing. I was thinking that a, a modern equivalent might be something like singing a Christmas song uh, as you drive in your car to go to church on Christmas Day. So it's, it's something like that. And as a song, there are two stanzas. In the first, uh, the first three verses, the psalmist recalls this exuberant joy and laughter when God restored the fortunes of Zion, a probable reference to the return of the people from Babylonian exile after 70 years. After 70 years, this, this return uh, to Zion and this just incredible joy of that experience. And of course, you know, this kind of national restoration is beyond our experience. And even for those who were experiencing it, it was so um, wonderfully unimaginable. It felt like a dream to them. That this, wow, is this really happening? In fact, it was so unexpected that even the nations around them acknowledged that it must have been God who had done this for his people. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Selah. I always thought there ought to be a Selah right there. 
Just a little pause. Because now in the second stanza, circumstances have changed. The return from exile was joyous, but it also was incredibly difficult. They had to rebuild all of the infrastructure. They had to rebuild the temple and the walls surrounding the city. If you browse through several of the books that were written during this time, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, you, you see how hard it was, how hard it was to rebuild an entire life. The temple, for example, when it was rebuilt, some of the uh, old people, when they saw it, they, they cried because they saw that it, it looked shabby in comparison to the glory of the temple that Solomon had originally built. And so under all these difficult circumstances, there's tears, there's weeping, and the psalmist pleads for and looks toward a joyful restoration as before. So he recalls a time when there was this great joy, when there was laughter, and now as he's experiencing this time of hardship, of weeping and tears, he calls upon God, he trusts God that God will restore once again, bring back the joy that they had experienced before. In times of trouble and suffering, he turns to his memories of God's past actions as a source of hope for the future. And I think this is what the people of faith can do with memories in times of difficulty. It's like the adage, don't forget what you saw in the light in the dark. Just because someone turned off the lights, it doesn't mean that what you saw before isn't real or that it's not there. Just because you're going through a a difficult time, a dry spell in your faith, doesn't invalidate the true faith experiences that you had before. And it's not just your personal experiences. It's the experiences and collective memories of the entire church. In fact, we, we need the whole church, the whole church throughout all the ages, to keep our collective memories of what God has done, to keep that vibrant and to keep it honest so that we do not devolve into a kind of maudlin nostalgia, which is what often happens with memories. Uh, I know that most of you um, are way, way too young to know this, but in the 1970s, um, there was a sitcom called All in the Family. I know it's hard for you to imagine, but in the 1970s, when I was a kid, there were basically only three channels to choose from. Three. ABC, NBC, and CBS. That was it. Now, you had PBS, but nobody watched that. (laughs) And you had one local station that ran reruns um, where I watched Star Trek. But you had basically three choices of entertainment at any given time. That was it. Just three. Just three. There was no cable. There's no Netflix. You had three choices in any given evening. Remember those good old days? Some of you? A couple of you? So everybody kind of watched the same thing. So that, that was kind of good. Like Everyone watched the same thing. So when you talked about a show, like everybody had seen it because there was nothing else to see. Right? And for five years in a row, All in the Family was the most watched show in American television. For five years. That's right, the most popular show. And it's still considered one of the greatest shows ever made, although 
most of you have never seen it or even heard of it. Well, the show revolved around the character of Archie Bunker, who was an unlikable, domineering, loudmouthed, narrow-minded bigot who disliked and was prejudiced against anybody who was not like him. And he regularly spouted disparagingly racist, misogynistic, homophobic, anti-Semitic comments. And yes, it was a comedy. His fundamental struggle was a struggle that was shared by American or a, a good segment of America during this time that he could not understand or accept the cultural shifts that were happening in the country in the 70s. He, he could not adapt to it. And so he looked back to his past as the better times, and that's where he got his bearings from. The theme song, which he and his wife Edith sing to open the show, has these lyrics and captures this mood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. And you knew where you were then. Girls were girls, and men were men. Mister, we could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. Didn't need no welfare state. Everybody pulled his weight. Gee, our old LaSalle ran great. Those were the days. Now, those were the days that none of us can relate to, right? But those were, he remembers these good old days when there was good music like Glenn Miller instead of stuff like Gucci Gang that we have to listen to now. When there were reliable, luxurious, large, gas-guzzling cars like the LaSalle, instead of now having to worry about gas or the environment. When gender was simple and binary, instead of fluid and a spectrum. When sexist attitudes were acceptable, instead of the critique now we have from feminism. When rugged individualism and capitalism was the norm and rewarded, instead of this now call in some parts towards socialism. Those were the days when everything was simple and better. That's what he's remembering. But of course, he's only selectively remembering the good old days. It's a bad form of nostalgia. This excessive and sentimental yearning to return to some distant past that never really existed. The good old days may have been at least partly good for some people, some of the time in some ways. But it certainly was never good overall for everyone in every way. And it's the same idea that President Trump's slogan, MAGA, has tapped into today. Make America great again, right? To to go back to this, this mythical time. It's the same nostalgia that the Israelites had in the wilderness wanting to go back to Egypt because they remembered how tasty the onions And the cucumbers were. I mean, how good could cucumbers have been? They forgot that they were slaves in Egypt. But they selectively remembered, oh, those those onions. To remember and complain and to try to go back because you're going through a difficult time is not helpful. And that that is not what the psalmist is doing here. That is not where the psalmist points us. Good faith, good memories points us forward, not backwards. 
We remember the past with thankfulness, with joy, but, but we don't go backwards. We, we move forward with that memory. The psalmist recalls what God has in the past, but does not remain there. It gives him instead a hope for the future as his present is a time of struggle. It is not a return to the good old days. It's a source of hope for better future days. You know, on Tuesday, um, I got to spend some time, I think it was Tuesday, uh, with some of the uh, men from the New Brunswick Fellowship Group. Uh, they decided uh, to explore their sensate pathway, and so they came to Princeton to visit the Princeton University Chapel. And so they uh, looked at the, the building, um, you know, it's a very imposing structure, so your, your eyes can kind of feast on the architecture. Um, and then your ears can enjoy the, uh, there was an organist playing, so they got to hear the music. Uh, we sang a song together in there, so we got to hear ourselves uh, just, and just appreciate the, the sound of that. Uh, and then to uh, fill up the other senses of taste, smell, and touch, uh, we went to Hoagie Haven and got some sandwiches. <laughs> right, so that, that's a good, that's a good FG, that's a good night. Um, but, you know, so before heading to, uh, to eat, uh, I took the guys to the uh, library that was next to the university chapel, because inside this uh, library is a children's library called Kotzen. And, um, you know, that is a place of great nostalgia for me. Uh, my kids, when they were little, uh, my wife and I used to take them there um, when they were little. Um, it, it's, it's a great little library. And if you haven't been, I encourage all of you with, with kids to go take a visit. Um, you know, there's this, this, like, giant tree that the kids can climb to the top. They can read there. There's all kinds of, like, children's books and exhibits. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful space. And, you know, um, back then, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff to do. We didn't have the kind of activities and fun places to go as you do today. So we used to take our kids there, and, and it was free. Um, so, and I, I was rem- reminiscing, like, wow, you know, it was... Remember when our kids were so young and they were so cute and we had such fun just reading to them? Like, I could reminisce all, you know, those kinds of things. And, of course, I'm selectively remembering, right, because I'm forgetting about all the, the, the hardship, the sleepless nights, the feet, right? I'm forgetting all of that. And just went, ah, those were the days, you know, when they were little and I could read to them and they would, right? And um, I could stay there or I could move on. Now, fortunately for me, um, as we were leaving the library, um, one of my kids called me on my phone. And so it kind of broke me out of my reverie and said, oh, and, um, well, I can't hide this because it's, it's, in, it's happening in Princeton. So, so my daughter calls me, <laughs> and she says, Dad, are you going to Hoagie Haven? And I freaked out a little bit, like, how does she know I'm going to Hoagie Haven? <laughs> right? I'm looking around, right? Um, and she said, and she won't tell me, like, how do you know I'm going to Hoagie Haven? Like, are you tracking my phone? Are you like, you know, wh- how do you know? And um, she wouldn't tell me. Um, so we end up going to Hoagie Haven, and she, and she joined us there. And so then we got to have a, a, another conversation. And we got to talk about some things. And that moment was made possible because of the earlier times in that Cotson Library, right? But it wasn't because I was, I was staying there. Right? It's, it's, it's an opportunity to, to move forward, to create new memories. To have new experiences, new joys. Um, so we have to, so I'm trying to be thankful and glad of the memories that I have. 
and then to then maybe share those memories so others can form their own memories uh, from that. Uh, because I believe, you know, good memories of our faith, it, it's not a form of escape when we're struggling. But they ought to be a source of strength to help us have hope for the future. And we do this as we recall what God has done. Whenever we read about the great things that God has done in the past in the scriptures, it's not just, you know, oh, I wish I could live back in days when Jesus was around. You know, those are the better days. You know, I could really believe if, if I could have seen that. But, but it's not true. Plenty of people saw Jesus. Plenty. And they crucified him. They were not better days. But the stories tell us, they remind us of how the people of God trusted God, how they experienced God, and looked toward his restoration and deliverance. And so these these stories can add color and depth to to what we're going through right now. A few weeks ago during our Lenten FG, we studied about Joshua and and the memorial stones uh, that they built to mark the occasion of crossing of the Jordan River. They were to create a memorial so that when the children saw it, they would ask, what does this mean? And then the adults were supposed to say, Israel, pass over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. See, in recalling that memory, in recalling what God did, they were to mix the use of you and we. So even though the children did not personally experience this event, they are drawn into the story. It's what the Lord your God did for you, even though they weren't there. They're drawn into the story of her people, into, this is my story too. And it's that shared memory that gives them reason now to hope in God now and in the future. The mighty acts of God, they're not just historical descriptions of what simply happened in the past. They describe for us a particular community, a particular identity, a particular relationship with the God who is living and who delivers And it is a life into which we are living. And in remembering, we rediscover and we remind ourselves the reason for our hope for the future. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. That's what he does. He prays, restore our fortunes like before, like streams in the Negev. Restore for us. The Negev is a desert and normally pretty dry. But even in the desert, there are vestiges, there are memories of the rains in the rivers and the gullies that remain of former streams. There are reminders of what happened in the past. And so so they know that when the rains come suddenly in its season, the the valleys will be flooded, the, the, the gullies will be filled once again, and almost magically overnight, the desert will be turned into you know, blooming flowers and the animals will come back and so on. They know this because they've experienced it before. They know it's going to happen again because it's happened before. 
So when I'm struggling with my faith, with my life, I can remember what God has done for me in the past and for us, and it can give me hope for the future. And even the struggle itself is a reminder of the joy, just as those dry riverbeds were reminders of former rains, that the rains will come again in its seasons. So I don't live in the past. I recall the past, but I want to know that I can experience God now and in the future. You see, the psalmist doesn't just simply accept the dryness of the desert. He wants something better. He knows something better. And so that's why he calls upon God to do what he's done before. He knows, because he has known God who has delivered before, that God will once again restore. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done great things for us. And so this hope can only come if I know the Lord to be powerful and loving and that he has done this before. Yeah, you know, this week I read a story about uh, Donald Barnhouse, who was the uh, former pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. It's a pretty well-known church. Um, and he tells a story about how after he graduated uh, from Princeton Seminary, about a dozen years after he graduated, he was invited to speak at the uh, seminary chapel. And, you know, that's, that's kind of a big deal. And uh, when he came to preach, one of the people who came to hear him preach was one of his former professors, Robert Wilson, uh, whom Barnhouse, you know, revered. So you can imagine it must have been a little bit intimidating, you know, to preach before, you know, one of your uh, favorite professors. And so he preached. And then after the service, Wilson said this to Barnhouse. He said, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you. I only come once. I am glad that you are a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders, and then I know what their ministry will be. Well, Barnhouse didn't know what a big godder or a little godder was, and so he said, well, what does that mean? And so Wilson explained, well, some men have a little god, and they are always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of inspiration and transmission of the scriptures to us. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. You have a great God, and he will bless your ministry. What a great blessing that is. You know, the, the psalmist is a, is a big godder. He knows that his God is mighty to save. He's experienced it. And so he tells us, those who sow in tears, those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, will reap, will reap with shouts of joy. They will come home with shouts of joy. He knows and acknowledges there is a time of weeping. But he also knows that blessed are those who weep. He knows that just as the harvest comes after sowing, shouts of joy will follow a season of weeping. As Psalm 35 tells us, 
Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. He knows this because he's experienced it before. You know, most of you know uh, that my family and I, uh, we've been going through some challenging uh, medical and health issues this past year. Um, These days, uh, you may see me opening the door for my wife and frequently holding her hand as we walk. Uh, I used to do that when we were first dating because I was trying to be cool and romantic. These days, uh, I'm not being romantic. Uh, But I'm trying to be more thoughtful and loving. Uh, These days, you know, she needs my help because some of the pain she has in moving, so I try to help her out of the car, and because some of the dizziness, she feels unstable when she's walking sometimes, and so that's why I do that. Um, Ah, the good old days when we were young, (laughs) when we could run around. So again, I can ignore the difficulties, the fighting we used to do when we were first married. Or, I can be thankful for those days and look for ways to be hopeful about the future. You know, I, I can't get back what I've lost over the years in terms of my health and youthfulness and my good looks. <laughs> I can't pray for the body of a 25-year-old anymore. I mean, I, mean I, I can pray for it, but it's a waste of God's time and my time, right? At least on this side of eternity. Instead, I can pray for grace through the pain and the increasing limitations that I'm discovering. I can pray for wisdom to navigate through this phase of life. And I can be thankful, especially thankful, for the deepening and maturing of love in ways that I did not expect. And I can look forward to an ever deeper kind of joy in my life, in my relationships, and with God. That I can have a kind of joy that I didn't that I had no idea about 20 years ago. Life can be hard, I know. I know some of you are going through some some really tough times. It can be filled with tears and with weeping. We have the tears of ordinary trials and suffering of everyday life. There are the tears that we shed in repentance and contrition. There are the tears that we shed for the suffering of others. Having faith does not remove the pain and the tears from us. Someone said that faith doesn't mean that we get to walk away from or around our troubles, but rather that faith gives us the strength and a hope as we walk through those troubles with faith and with love. I know there are seasons of dryness when the past rains seem only like rumors and urban legend. But look at the hope that is given to us. I know, I know most of us don't know anything about farming, but we know this much, right? That you have to sow before there's, there's fruit, before you get to harvest. The farmer carries the seeds out in tears. And sowing is hard. But he's confident that he's going to be shouting with joy. Regardless of how he feels at the moment, he's still going to sow the seeds No matter how hard, he keeps at it. It's like what Paul told the Corinthians. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
Your labor is not in vain. The rains are something that the, only God can bring and will bring. We have no control over that. But sowing is something that we can do. Even with tears, we can still sow. And some of that sowing is going to be lost. But as Jesus said, the seed that lands in good soil will produce 30, 60, 100-fold harvest of fruit. The Lord has done great things for us. And so, so I hope this is an encouragement to, to keep working, to keep sowing, to keep seeking, to keep at the ministries, to keep trusting in the Lord, even in tears. Because you can, you can have the confidence you can have the confidence that you will harvest, that the Lord will do great things for you. You know, I said last week that the season of Lent is a, is a somber time, right? It's a self-reflection of repentance, confession, fasting, but that at the root of it is joy. And we see this again, this joy. Not just joy, but the psalmist says shouts of joy. Right? Like overflowing, exuberant joy. G.K. Chesterton called it joy, the gigantic secret of the Christian. And the Apostle Paul identified joy as a fruit right after love, the, the, fruit, of the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus said, if we keep his commandments, his joy would be full in us. And even on the cross, even in that suffering, Jesus looked forward to the joy that was set before him. We were made to have and to experience this joy, this hope of joy and of joy eternal. Not because we feel good about ourselves or feel good about the circumstances of our lives, but because we know that God is good and that God has done great things for us and that God will once again do great things for us. I know for a lot of people, you know, religion is just a way to try to avoid some sorrow and some pain. They think that, you know, if you believe in God somehow that you can, you know, superstitiously avoid certain, certain difficulties in life. But that's not it at all. That's not the promise that we're given. Instead, we are told something far better. The greatness of God. The greatness of God. The power of God. And the promise of God's deliverance because we have seen him do it in the past and we have the promise that he would do it once again. So we live with sorrows but always there is this joy. There is this this bubbling joy underneath because we know that the Lord has done great things for us and he will do great things for us once again. Let's pray together. God, we we know even greater things that the psalmist did not know. We know the work of Christ for us on the cross. And that of all the joys that we will experience in this life, we have yet an even greater joy awaiting us in the resurrection. So God, whatever it is that we are going through, help us to Remember your greatness in the past of what you have done for us in the past and to trust that you are with us now and that you will do great things once again.
that in seasons of sorrow and weeping, help us to trust, to know that there will be a harvest, a shouting of joy to come. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.